here. Welcome in the State of the Fish, the weekly Marlins space here. Fish on the first, we've got Eli here today. I've got myself, of course. We'll have other Fish on First members cycling in here throughout the night. But another good week to look at and review. Month of June has just been very, very kind to the Marlins. And as you see at the tweet pinned to the top of the page here, that is a wrap-up of an important 40-game stretch for the Marlins where they played mostly inferior talent uh, throughout those 40 games, and it's over. And the Marlins came out pretty hot. They went in that stretch 10 game, or they went in that stretch of 500 and are now 10 games over 500, went 25 and 15 in a 40-game stretch. We would have to check the stats, but that might be one of the best 40-game stretches for the Marlins in quite some time. But, um it's, it's only going to get tougher from here. There, This next 34-game stretch, if you go ahead and click on the tweet, there are some good teams in there. We'll talk about what lies ahead for the Marlins, but we'll recap the week ahead first here with Eli. The Seattle Mariners, uh, first interleague series loss for the Marlins on the year. I actually just looked up the record for the Marlins interleague play this season. So far, 16-5. and five. I did not realize it was that good. I guess it helps to play the Athletics and Royals, but the Marlins have given the work to the American League teams this year, but uh, that did not go so well against the Mariners. Got crushed on Monday night. I guess a lot of people didn't really see that one because of the heat, but it just wasn't even close from the beginning. J.P. Crawford um, and Julio Rodriguez and the Mariners just got it going right away against the Marlins. Lazardo just did not have his stuff. He has been pretty bad on the road this year outside of today, maybe a couple other outings. It was a good outing for him today. We'll touch on that here a little bit more. But uh, Seattle was just hitting the ball really, really well. Uh, Eddie got hit pretty hard as well, and he ended up on the, the injured list. And um, Yedri Perez really saved that series there. Excellent outing for him. We're sure to see more from him now with all the pitching injuries that have come up here in the last couple of weeks. We will, of course, touch on that as well and who Miami is starting tomorrow. Um but overall, the Seattle series, Eli kind of saw how, you know, they may be a sleeping giant out in the West in the American League. They're they're a lot better than what their record suggests. But uh, the Marlins being able to pull out a win there kind of helped them get back on track to where they wanted to go into that national series. Right. As you touched on with interleague play, historically, even obviously beyond this year, the Marlins have been one of the better National League teams ever in terms of interleague performance. They always seem to do even better against AL teams and they do uh, overall, the rare exception being that Mariners series. We were kind of freaking out a little bit. I'm trying to remember exactly when we were talking about it. I, I guess this was on Fish Unfiltered with Kevin and Isaac when they dropped those first two games, both of them in almost blowout fashion. Like It had you worrying a little bit about the state of the team. And it all comes down to that final game and so much that Jesus Sanchez catch to seal that game, how much things could have felt a whole lot different if he doesn't catch that ball, if it goes over the wall. Because outside of that, to be able to salvage a game in that series without doing very much at all on offense, especially when the games are actually mattering, they put on some garbage time offense those first couple games. But outside of that, you just saw them getting truly dominated by good starting pitching. The kind of thing, that was kind of the formula that the Marlins thought they had themselves um, this year is having occasional dominant starting pitching outings like that. And frankly, there haven't been all that many from the Marlins as they were just from the Mariners in those first couple games of the series. Uh, one time uh, being no hit into the sixth inning, I think it was before breaking it up. So um, yeah, for them to like salvage that final game against 
a, a talented Mariners team that is performing a little worse than kind of their talent would suggest at this point in the season. That final game, um, especially yet another Yeri Perez masterpiece, one of his very best games, got some good defense behind him, but all things considered to go through six innings for the first time in his major league career. Now realizing as we fast forward a little bit, knowing that uh, his spot in the rotation figures to be his for even longer than anticipated, just because they're running out of alternatives right now. And he is showing really no signs of wearing down. So for him to have that performance, that's what stood out most of all is that now through seven starts in his major league career, it's been unlike any other start to a Marlins major league career for a starting pitcher that he's been so good in most of these outings and the most recent one being right up there with everything else that we've seen so far. It really is a shame that he came up so late in the year and that he hasn't really been able to go as long because he definitely, if he keeps this up, he definitely has an NL rookie of the year case, but one, no one's catching Corbin Carroll. Two, you've got all those Reds rookies competing, Spencer Steer, Ellie De La Cruz, Matt McLean, and then even James Allen could work himself back into the conversation. And it's, it's somewhat rare, not super-duper rare, for a pitcher to, to win that award, but either way, he's helping the Marlins win baseball games, something that starting pitching really hasn't done too much recently. We'll touch on that a little bit more, but we'll skip ahead to the National Series. And by the way, speaking of starting pitching, how about that from from the Mariners? I mean, what, what a series from them. George Kirby's legit. Uh, one underlying thing that kind of like went over everyone's heads, but mine, just because of the history behind it, they, the Marlins finally, not so much got the Luis Castillo, but they didn't lose a game where Luis Castillo pitched in. Uh, he, he always does well against his former team, the team that traded him over to the Reds. And they, they did beat him on Wednesday, so uh, good to get that monkey off of their back. But skipping ahead to the National Series, I mean, I don't think I've seen a team dominate another in Major League Baseball like this for quite some time. At 21-4 in a two-year span, 6-0 and so far this year. It, it is a shame. And this aspect that um, we've gone down to 13 games in the, against divisional opponents because if it was still 19, you're talking about the Marlins really stacking up some of those wins and maybe getting up there closer to 90. But no, I'm kidding. Uh, the, the Marlins dominated the Nationals again, but I really want to focus on that Friday night game. It's kind of been the theme so far in a lot of these Sandy starts. I'm sure we'll touch more on just how much Sandy struggled recently. I saw this especially against the, the Athletics as well. Sandy got blown up right away. And last year, if a pitcher got blown up right away, four runs, five runs, just like that, if it's 4-0, 5-0, 5-1, whatever, in, in the early parts of the game, you would consider the Marlins out of it. You would just turn off the TV and just be done with that, go on with your day. That is not the case this year. There's just the supporting cast has really started to pick up slack that they've kind of been lacking the last couple of years. And when someone's not at their best, it's kind of a, hey, I got you. And Sandy alluded to that in his postgame presser on Friday. Like, everyone else is playing great besides me. I mean, I've got to do better, but I'm thankful for the guys behind me. And while it is the Washington Nationals, and while that was the Oakland Athletics, I don't see why this can't exactly continue. The Marlins find ways to score. Uh, the top half of that lineup is pretty good at that. Boop and a blast is really kind of the, the theme of this Marlins team, it feels like, with uh, the Outer Horizon, Solaire combo, just so many guys at the top of that lineup with Pop, and just the ability to get on base. And that, that was prevalent in this national series. 
Well, and aside from the usual stuff, Arise hitting a home run himself in this one way farther than the one he hit earlier this year. A no doubter to the pull side. He well, he really carried them as much as anybody in that first game, the second five hit game of the season for Arise. Um, coming off, that was when he entered that game over his last 15, too. That was his longest hitless stretch as a Marlin, and he snapped out of it in, in a humongous way for that game. With, with Sandy, really discouraging start. No way to um, really like go around that. He was seemingly trending in the right direction entering this game, and he, from the very beginning, just did not have it. From the very first batter of the game, he didn't. He wasn't missing bats. And that contact was a lot of loud contact against him. He he didn't he had opportunities to you know settle down and they when he gave back the initial lead and the Marlins again put him in front he gave back that second lead as well that is highly uncharacteristic of him. It's it continues to be just an immensely disappointing year considering how high the bar that he set last year was, and we've reached a point now getting awfully close to the halfway mark of the season where it's just, it's clear that you just can't expect him to all of a sudden flip a switch again. This has been a pretty big sample of him as a different pitcher than last year. The peripherals continue to suggest that he is having some degree of bad luck and that's going to bounce back. But overall his changeup is not the same pitch as it was a year ago. And in general, he's, um, He's just allowing a, a lot more barreled balls that are going to lead to a lot more damage. He doesn't have quite the same defense behind him as a year ago, and we'll see what Jacob Amaya can do to single-handedly affect that. Having him on the team should help the infield defense that's been behind Sandy this year. In this particular start, though, um, it was it was not on the defense. It was on Sandy, just not having success against a pretty manageable opposing offense. We saw the the next couple of days that the other starters, Braxton Garrett and Jesus Lazardo, yeah, they didn't have a whole lot of trouble getting having like decent success, quality starts against this Nationals team. And Sandy faced many of the same batters they did, and obviously had a lot worse results. So he is he's still the leader of this pitching staff, but he's certainly not the ace of this rotation. He's just not as good and not as effective as these other guys to this point in the season. And it is shocking that they are where they are with him pitching as poorly as he has been. If you had to give the ace title to someone in this rotation right now, whether it be Lazardo, Braxton Garrett, or Yedrick Paris, who would you give it to? It's a good question because on an per inning basis, Perez is the best that they have. But we know that there's this very tight leash on him, and he took it about as far as he could this this last start. So it's, it's hard to be the true ace of your rotation. If you're not even capable, if you're not actually given the the freedom to go deep into games, even when you're on top of your game and Braxton Garrett is kind of in that same situation where his leash is not all that much longer than Yuri's leash so far this season. Uh, I think by default, you have to give it to Lazardo. Um, even though I think his ERA is a little bit higher than Braxton's at this point in the season, uh, I think by default, and that's the reality is they just don't have a really amazing ace unless Sandy magically flips the switch and just recognizing that Yuri is not even going to be in this rotation throughout the entire season due to his own limitations. So it has to be Lizardo, who at this with certain stretches of the season has looked awesome. Um, 
but frankly hasn't been um i mean even he on a hasn't been quite as good as he was a year ago so it's for a team that's in as good a position as they are while not even having a single starting pitcher that's anywhere close to the all-star conversation that has been a, a pretty big surprise we got Alex Carver in here so Mr. Alex, what are your thoughts on the week in review? One of your guys got his debut in today, and then one of your main guys is on the bump tomorrow. Uh, I don't know if Amaya is my guy. He's more of like an Isaac. He's Isaac's guy. I'm a big Amaya fan, too, but one of your kids got called up and made his big league debut. Yeah, no, it's good. Um, Guy definitely deserves it. Um, Playing well uh, with with Jacksonville, Uh, so it's cool to see him here. Did well today, getting a lot of the first set of the way in his first game in front of his dad. Valley Sports had that story, which is really cool. Um, his family was all able to make it to go see him, which is which is awesome. Um, so yeah, no, um, don't expect it to be probably the longest stint in the world for him in mid the majors, unless he lights the world on fire. But let's see what happens. Uh, Wendell's still been playing pretty well this month, so um, they'll expect him to get plenty of time. Um, but yeah. Um, it's cool to know that they can draw from a guy like Amaya and he can come up immediately and, and contribute uh, to a major league team. I, I think he's, he's not really a guy that should be in triple a much longer. I don't think he has much left to prove in triple a. This guy's a guy that needs to be up and, and seeing what he has, um, especially ahead of the trade deadline, like we were talking about before. So yeah, um, it's cool to see the guy up. Um, it's cool to see him succeed. So it's awesome. Um, the Braxton thing that you guys were just talking about, I mean, this guy is, I've said it earlier this year, um, that you didn't really know what you were getting from this guy. With the incorporation of this flyer that he has, uh, he's always had the curveball, which he still do, is using, but with the full realization and the full incorporation of this slider, that's what makes him all the much more better and the main reason why he's doing what he's doing right now. Um, it's not the fastball. He's always had the curveball. The difference is the slider and the addition of the cutter as well. Um, I would also say are the reasons why you see Braxton a lot different this year than what he's been in years past, which is super good. Um, super proud of that kid. Awesome guy. Um, and I'm, I'm super glad to see him finally showing his full worth to the organization, probably the ace right now of the staff. And that's, that's amazing. He's had one bad start this year. That's it. So um, yeah, this guy deserves it. He's super cool. Um, glad to see him succeeding. It's fun, man. It's a fun season. Um, as you were saying before, though, Grant, it's a um, it's a team that just faced a lot of bad teams, and these are the teams that you should beat, and they beat them, which is very encouraging. But what stands out to me is sustainability. That's the realism in this, is how sustainable is this, especially as they face off against better teams, such as the Pirates and the Blue Jays. So how do they live up against these, these better teams um, that are playing equally or even better baseball right now? Uh, that's your measuring stick. And when you look at a team that still has a negative 24 run differential and teams don't do it very often that they make the playoffs at this point in the season, they have a negative run differential as, as we're as bad as the Marlins still is. Um, they don't really rely on their pitching, not the rotation, at least very much. The bullpen has been amazing, but they haven't been able to rely on the rotation, not even their, their, their Cy Young award winner. They have not been able to rely on him. They've had other guys that have come up like Garrett and Yuri and kind of held it down for the rotation, but Yuri only goes five innings to start. Uh, Garrett, I, I really like him, but he's one guy. Um, so, yeah, there, there's definite question marks about is this a real playoff team or is it a pretender? There's still questions. Um, I, it, as good as it is what we're seeing right now, put it into perspective that 
they still have a really bad run differential. Um, they've performed poorly in certain situations, especially against better teams. So fan-centric stuff out of the way and being a realist, um, I'm I'm not all the way bought in on this being like a sure thing, surefire, really good playoff-bound season for Miami. But we'll see what they do. We're definitely going to touch on that a little bit later about how this is almost the passing of the torch at this point in, in the schedule from easy teams to harder teams, so to speak. But I do want to mention as we'll, we'll kind of transition here and of what is happening with the rotation right now and everyone ending up on the I.L. Your guy Brian Hogan's on the mound tomorrow. It's his first start in quite some time. Hasn't thrown more than, what, 34 pitches in about a month or so. But um, he, he should be good. Uh, at least start the game tomorrow, but he might only open. But as you heard Skip and that presser say that uh, most of the bullpen should be ready. Yeah, it's uh, it's step in and see what he does. Honestly, I mean, they have where else can they go? <laughs> like, what else can they do? They, they, right. it, they this is this is where they're at. Um, and AAA is literally out of pitching. They are calling up guys from Low A. The guy that started for Jacksonville today was his AAA debut. He skipped single-A advanced, and he skipped double-A, and he's starting in triple-A because they just have nobody else to go to, and they don't want to call up guys for whatever reason. Uh, that's a separate topic, but they don't want to call up guys from double-A to triple-A. So they literally started a guy who was pitching in low-A. So, um, so yeah, um, where else do you go? Uh, so Brian's the guy. Um, you know, they don't really have um, much else in the way of, of, of guys that can fill space right now. So the depth... Pitching depth, and I know we don't talk about this a lot for Miami, but the major league ready pitching depth is it has become an issue. So, as I said before, when you only have one guy really in the rotation that you can count on right now to go out and put up a quality start pretty much every time out, that's Braxton. That's the guy, only guy you can really count on to go six plus innings and three or less earned runs. Um, that that's an issue. With I mean, the bullpen's been amazing, um, but. This, this is this is the weakness of this team is pitching. And uh, a couple of years ago, I didn't think I would say that. But right now, the weakness of the Marlins is starting pitching. Uh, and that's a concern. Agreed. And now we got Trevor Rogers, no real timetable for his return with an opposite throwing latch strain, opposite throwing arm latch strain, something like that. Edward Cabrera is on the IL with no true estimate for his return. Seeing a lot more discussion come back this week about you know, is, is Edward maybe bound for the bullpen? That's a whole other topic. We can touch on that maybe. But um, what was once perceived to be a strength for the Marlins starting pitching, it, like Alex said, it's uh, it, it's kind of falling apart. It's a couple months in. Yeah, you know who in particular they're missing at this particular juncture of the season? Daniel Castano. This would be yes. a perfect Daniel Castano opportunity to – to fill in this spot and bridge the gap until one of the other starters is ready. And he's been on the minor league IL for over two months now. That has been a bummer for him for, because you know, there've been little flashes of adequacy from him going back to last season. And I, that's a guy that's is on the 40 man roster for the moment, but he has not been pitching for months now. That's one piece that's out of the equation. And it just leaves this big group of uninspiring triple a depth for them to go to. We'll find out potentially if they do make a roster move, Devin Smeltzer was removed from his start kind of under the possibility that he would be needed at the big league level. Uh, we'll see if they try to put him on the team 
but the expectations for him uh, just couldn't be any lower because he was for the most part bad in the big leagues with one exception that game against Cleveland. And he's continued to be very, oh, he he's struggling he just really as much in, in triple a as well. Like since he's gone down to triple a, it's just, he's not been good. He's, he's still a well below average pitcher down there. I'd like that signing in the off season, but it has uh, not really borne out and it hasn't really helped them eat up these bulk endings. So between him and obviously Sixto being as far away from possible as being a viable pitching option. And the fact that, you know, Jake Eater is inching his way back from his injuries, but not in a candidate at this time. Those other options at AAA, the Chichi Gonzalez's, the Jeff Lindgren's, um, they're just, um, yeah, you can't really trust them to get out to the big league level. There's so, one man. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, so what, what would be the weight? Eli, that you would say, or what would be the reason that you think that they are waiting to go to a guy who has a back-end rotational ceiling, who gets outs, who probably could carve out a role for himself here. Maybe he goes back, maybe he stays, whatever it may be. If he stays, he stays, and you leave Trevor in AAA for a little while, whatever it may be. When he gets healthy and he's fully back, what would be the wait, and why are they waiting on calling up Patrick Monteverde? He's 26 years old. We're reaching a point where that is an interesting conversation to have. There's been he's been obviously awesome at Pensacola this year, and he is fully stretched out to start. In this particular thing, he's not lined up the way that the the schedule is lined up. He's, he's not on regular rest for tomorrow. So, like in that in this instance, you can understand why they didn't put him in this situation. The question is, I think you got to begin to ask that beyond this game. But beyond Monday is what they do with that spot. Uh, we'll we'll see what the update is on Trevor because I think my understanding is he's going to try to resume throwing tomorrow on Monday, and I'm sure they'll disclose that during the injury update whether or not he did that. It is a different conversation if he if this is a significant setback for him um, and he's not ready to resume throwing yet, and you know you have to fill multiple starts. Then I think you do have to talk about Monteverde. It's either that or the other option is stretching out Brian Hoeing again. Uh, so Monday is a big day in terms of the injury updates, seeing how long Hoeing can go. As Grant touched on, he has not gone past 34 pitches in the game since early May. I'm sure they're going to stretch him out beyond that in this game. And uh, as long as he's kind of effective in that time, then it's probably Hoeing even more so than Monteverde that gets the first dibs at that rotation spot. Yeah, I just I don't see it. I mean, I, I just don't see I love Brian Hoeing. You guys know I like that guy. But I just don't see that there's a route for for him to become, you know, a guy, like I said before, as a guy who you can count on to go out there and give you a quality start. I, there, there's really, I don't think that's in the cards. I mean, four or five innings, it would be a, a win for him. Um, but yeah, I, when you're talking about a guy that you need at the back end that's going to eat innings and get out quickly, like you just said, Eli, and save that bullpen. Like, as good as that bullpen has been, if they keep going like this and they keep going with two, three innings of hoeing and whatever else it may be, like, there's going to be a time where that bullpen gets kind of worn out, especially with, with Sandy not being able to be counted on right now and, and only only one pitcher, really, in the rotation that can be counted on right now. To give you a quality start, you're going to wear out your bullpen and they're going to be less effective through the stretch. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what they do with this rotation, man. Um, it's not something that I thought we would say. Um, like, even as early as the end of last year, I, this was not something I thought we would say. I thought the rotation was the strength of this team. Um, 
it doesn't it definitely isn't right now because of injuries and everything else that has happened and now you're kind of seeing that the depth that you thought the Marlins did have they don't really have it that much um and it's it's definitely a concern like I said before so um you got to get up the guys that are gonna give you the meaningful innings and I think Monteverde is that guy so yeah I know it doesn't line up right now but um there's got to be a route to get this guy up like you fill the start with hoeing and then maybe next week um I would say you know you got to really start looking at that there's one very unattractive option the, the most people right now that could very well be a reality soon. Johnny Cueto is going through those rehabs. Stop starts. it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. No. He's got to come back up at some point. He has to. And he, he will probably have to take a rotation spot. It seems like they almost have no other option. Yeah, with Cueto, it's at least one more minor league rehab start before he's anywhere close to being stretched out again. But his performance has just been disastrous. It was it looked bad in spring training when he was pitching through the injury. Um, and it looked bad during his initial rehab assignment when he was supposedly recovered from the injury. And now the second injury, the ankle injury, on the, is way back from that. I mean, he's faced 30-something batters at double-A, and he struck out one guy. One out of 30-something. <laughs> he's allowed more, more barrels and more homers and strikeouts. So, like, he is... I think I touched on this on Ryan Schlesinger's podcast yesterday is that with Quayle, like last year he had success, but he did it by a lot of pitching to contact. He did it despite his diminishing stuff. And it's such a fine line for guys at that stage of their career when they're not missing bats, when their stuff isn't what it used to be, um, when they're kind of throwing the kitchen sink at it, the fine line between being successful at that and also being out of the league. It's so minute just because you can't get away with mistakes and you can't overpower any hitters when your fastball is only sitting in the high eighties, low nineties, even from the right side with him. There's no reason to based on what we have seen from him all year to this point, And even recently during this rehab assignment, there's just no reason to believe he's going to be any good. There's no reason to believe he's going to be different than the uninspiring triple A options that I kind of touched on, like how much better is Johnny Cueto than Devin Smeltzer at this point? I can't say confidently that he is an improvement on that. We'll take one start at a time. I believe his next rehab start is likely going to be Wednesday, Wednesday. And we'll see whether that's in Pensacola or whether it's in Jacksonville. Um, at this stage, there's just, there's no reason to believe he'll be successful. I do agree with Grant that he'll be back at some point. You know, they're going to put him on the roster and find out what they have. Um, but he is not guaranteed to stay with this organization um, for any extended length of time. If he struggles when he does make it back to the big leagues, and uh, it's going to be a short leash. And I think they're going to be willing to eat that money and get rid of him um, because there's no evident value that he provides at this stage given what he's shown, he just looks like a, he looks completely washed up at this stage. And you just hope that uh, the further he gets away from his injury and that the more that he just continues to throw, that something clicks with him, but it's just, it could not be any more discouraging what he's shown so far. Yeah. And I, the, the last rehab start he had, uh, well, the one, the one where he got hurt, uh, unfortunately he hurt his ankle on a play at first base. That was probably the worst I've seen him, honestly. Like, he was real bad, and I think he allowed, like, four home runs or something like that. This is triple-A batters. Like, one of the guys that he was facing, he gave up two home runs to the same guy. The guy hadn't hit a home run all year. 
So it's it's like Eli said, it's time to admit like these these signings that they made, they won with one, and that's Yuli Gurriel. He's been really good. These older guys that they're hoping to bring back into form, they they did it with Yuli Gurriel. They did not do it with Gene Segura, and they definitely did not do it with Johnny Cueto. So there's going to be a time where the Marlins need to look at who's providing us with value. And there's, I don't think there's a route that exists to me from what we've seen so far with Cueto that would say that this guy can get back to what he previously was with, with other teams, including the Reds, as you know, Grant. So yeah, um, this is, this is like, end of the line career defining kind of like, okay, this is what he is now. As Eli said, kind of just not effective anymore. He has, doesn't have value for a major league baseball team now. And I don't think there's a path for him to gain that back. So I know there's money invested. You got to be willing to cut bait. And that that's exactly what the models are going to have to admit to in this case. Well, he's on a one-year deal, which makes it easier. And you mentioned that he's not going to get anywhere back close to his former ways. And of course I'm familiar with his reds days having, grown up watching him in the city but even just last year when he was the chicago white Sox, he had a good season like that was a legitimately good season for a starting pitcher we were doing all those blind who would you rather have polls on twitter where it was pablo lopez's numbers from last year in cueto's and cueto statistically was a pretty good pitcher and he just fell off like plain and simple and uh, you know maybe isaac is theory of the world baseball classic is actually coming to fruition i don't know that could have its own spaces or its own article one day but either way it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with this rotation so many injuries i know a lot of people are talking about sandy ghost il stint i even thought that that was maybe something that they could do to to get his confidence back just give him some time to just focus on himself but at this point you cannot afford to lose that whatsoever so um it's going to be interesting to see what happens this week howling tomorrow um I don't know who Tuesday is. Who's Tuesday? Wednesday's supposed to be Sandy. Who's Tuesday? Give me a moment. I will find that for you. I just checked. I think they have a TBD on it. I can't remember who should be. It actually might be Yuri. It might be. Maybe. Yeah. He he pitched on Wednesday, so that will be Yuri on Tuesday. It it, it was whoever was before Sandy. I I couldn't remember. The off day threw me off, but we'll, we'll get to the the week ahead now here briefly. I'm not going to go too far ahead on that 34-game stint that we've got pinned at the top there. That's just too far. But this week, um, it gets tougher for sure. But the opportunity against a struggling Pirates team is really good. But the Blue Jays definitely pose a threat. I know he said that the the Marlins are 16-5 in interleague plays so far. I don't know about that. Tomorrow, it would be a very improbable win if the Marlins could win tomorrow. Jose Barrios has been amazing this year for the Blue Jays. He's had an awesome last month. Um, he, he should pose a threat to the Marlins for sure. I don't know how well they're going to hit him, and even if they do hit him, what is going to happen with Brian Helling and whoever comes out of the bullpen. And, uh, I don't want mark up guaranteed L's, but I would think that would be definitely a top five most improbable win if the Marlins win tomorrow. But you, you, know, you got Yuri and you got Sandy the next two games, so it should be interesting. Then a four-game set against Pittsburgh Pirates, who, while they've had a really good season so far, and uh, they have an incredible collection of young talent, 
And I believe the Marlins will have to see Mitch Keller during that series, who has a, a Cy Young case, or at least did. He's kind of fallen off recently. But uh, that they're struggling right now. The Pirates are definitely struggling. They're playing in a weekend L Central that the rebuilding Cincinnati Reds might have a chance to win. They just struggled against the Brewers this weekend. The Pirates are falling off. It's definitely another opportunity for the Marlins. You know, the last two years we've said, well, the Pirates here, they come on the schedule ready to ruin the Marlins season, stick the dagger right in them, just like they kind of did in 21 and 22. But this year it's a whole different vibe, I feel like, where the Marlins could really use that to elevate themselves. And the Pirates are just playing terrible baseball right now. And uh, while a four-game set is definitely a chance to pick themselves back up, take three out of four and a four-game set is going to be huge for either team. And while series could definitely be a split, as Eli likes to say, always, if you're predicting a four-game set, always go for the split. Taking three or four in the series would be huge for either team to get the Pirates right back in that central race or really elevate the Marlins to the new heights. So, um, Eli and Alex as well, what are you guys really looking at in this next seven days for Miami? Yeah, with the Blue Jays, um, they're just a fascinating team. Even though they're uh, they're in contention still, I think a lot of people would categorize them as a disappointing team to the stage in the season. They have such a, on paper, they have as good a lineup as you could put together, um, but it hasn't been clicking on all cylinders at the same time. As somebody that has Vladimir Guerrero Jr. that had him in my fantasy team for most of the year before getting tired of him, um, he is not quite the player that he was a couple of years ago, even though he's still in the middle of that lineup. It's, um, they, I mean, they have a couple of stars that are carrying them at one time or another, but they haven't like fully clicked at one particular stage, um, to, in order to actually like, put together a really extended winning streak. Um, I'd say that the way that the pitching lines up is tough for the Marlins because with Barrios, he's finally, um, back to the pitcher that the Blue Jays thought they were getting when they extended him. And Kevin Gaussman is a lot more good than bad. He, um, he's a guy that just has incredible control and gets a heading count so consistently and then puts you away on his amazing splitter. Um, on those two particular games, like even with Sandy going in the finale of this series, I think the Blue Jays have a very clear advantage in a, both end, in both the start and the ends of this upcoming series for a team that kind of does have a lot of pressure to get things going given the way that they've performed and that they're coming off a, day, a game today where they just blew a six, nothing lead. So they're, yeah, their bullpen is kind of, it has a lot of familiar faces, a lot of former Marlins it doesn't have Anthony Bass anymore, but it does have some other guys that you'll recognize. And um, I mean, yeah, they're just, I think they're, even though their record is worse than the Marlins, I feel like they're a more talented team than they are. So this would be yet another series where uh, I'm probably going to predict the Marlins to lose it, but we'll find out for sure tomorrow. Um, yet when you just look at the performance, like, uh, yeah, this is a, a Blue Jays team that doesn't score quite as many runs as you would expect. And they've been allowing more runs than uh, you'd expect to this point uh, in the season. Um, so yeah, they're, uh, I I'd say entering the season, this looks like it would be one of their tougher matchups of the entire season. But um, as I mentioned, the Blue Jays just aren't quite as good in reality as they are on paper. Admittedly, I was the one who traded for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. from Mr. Eli. I've also got Darwin Barsha as well, which I've been following the Blue Jays the last couple of weeks. And yeah, it's been disappointing from an offensive standpoint. They've got so much talent on that team. And, um, you know, maybe this is a series where it breaks out for them. We were kind of talking about that this time last week where 
man, the Mariners should be a lot better than they are. Where's that breakout coming? And the breakout hasn't quite happened yet, but you kind of saw some flashes up of what Seattle's capable of. Um, anything from you, Mr. Carver, before we turn it over to the fun part of the show? Um, no, not really. I think you guys kind of covered it. I mean, it's still a team that's, even though they've kind of, they kind of struggled a little bit with the Blue Jays in, in some aspects, I think the, the Pirates are the surprise of the Major League Baseball season with how they've come back from being the perennial losers and how they're, they've kind of got a lot of role players on that team that are doing really well. Um, then you have Reynolds right there in the middle of it as well. That's also doing very well uh, offensively again too. So, uh, that's going to be a fun series as well. As Pirates. But, um, but yeah, no Blue Jays, um, this is definitely a star set of lineup, stacked lineup. You're going to see Donnie's return to Miami, which will be fun. Uh, I'm sure one of you guys will talk to him, whoever's, whoever's reporting uh, for this series. I'm sure you guys will. The two people you're talking to are the only two Fish on First members who are not in Miami, unfortunately. There you go. Well, yeah, well, I'm, not, I'm, I'm far away, too. I'm like an hour and a half away, but not as far as you guys. But I'm sure you guys will have somebody there, uh, Kevin or Daniel, whoever it is, that, that'll get maybe get a word with Donnie. It'll be cool to see him back. Um, I'm sure he'll get a thank you and everything else on the board, and it'll be cool. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a lot of names in this lineup. Um, there's there's definitely so much so much talent on this on this team, um, and it's going to be fun to see them. Um, and it's going to be fun to see how the Marlins measure up to a team who who is one of the better teams in baseball. Even though they're a little underachieving right now, this is definitely one of the better lineups in baseball to face. So um, how the pitching stacks up, how the Marlins stack up against their pitching, as you guys were just saying, will, will definitely be a good test for this team, especially just the contrast where they, they just played all these really bad teams and now you're playing a really good team. <laughs> what happens? Right. Uh, so it'll, it'll, it'll be nice to see how they adjust uh, and make that adjustment to um, better competition, which will be, will be fun to see. Um, and that'll be the question mark as they go along through the, the rest of the schedule. Um, but yeah, um, a fun team, a fun lineup. Uh, the Blue Jays, they're still top 10 in baseball and OPS. So they have a positive run differential of plus 19. So they're, they're a decent team. They're still a good team. Um, and they can get even better as we go along here. So it's going to be a fun test for Miami here in the streets. Don't think you could have said it better. Definitely a sleeping giant, potentially, even though, again, that record's good. And you got a talent like Vladdy. He's bound to wake up at, at any point. But uh, we'll turn it over here to the fun part of the show now. We've got the, the viewer questions, the listener questions. But first... Let me pitch to you guys. Become a super subscriber. Consider becoming a super subscriber. It's all access to everything Fish on First and Marlins from your number one Marlins site. You get everything. It's a floor price of $3 a month, a measly $3 a month, and you can get everything included with it. We always bring it up in here because you get first priority to, to speak in these spaces. If you give those $3 a month, again, you can give more if you're feeling generous. Uh, it's usually just the, the $3. You can make uh, predictions with us for series predictions. Eli was talking about how he was going to pick against the Marlins in this series. Whoever has the most points out of those throughout the year gets a prize. You get to play in fantasy sports leagues with us. Uh, Romeo, who we're going to bring in here in a second, he won our fantasy football league. We have a separate super subscriber fantasy baseball league. Uh, fantasy baseball is definitely a grind. You get to play with all those other super subscribers. It's super duper fun. Uh, what else we got? All sorts of giveaways. Um, the game notes before every single game that goes out to the media. I call it the Marlins Bible. It's good stuff. Uh, I feel like I'm, I feel like I forget one thing every single week. But uh, if I, I happen to be forgetting something, uh, remind me. We're going to bring in Romeo, though. Again, he does pay about $3 a month, so we'll bring him in uh, to, to get his question asked. 
Uh, I'll let people know that uh, we're doing a ticket giveaway for the Pirates series. So if you are interested in going to a game of that Pirates series in Miami this upcoming week, this is the final spaces before that, but you, you can sign up anytime between now and the next few days to be among the pool of super subscribers that have a chance to win those tickets to uh, see a game later this upcoming week. Absolutely. You also get to be in our Twitter circle too. There's some good notes and nuggets and there in case and just exclusive stuff again it, it is all access to everything fish on first from the number one miami Marlins coverage site and it's just three dollars a month so romeo what do you have for us today how's it going how are you going happy father's day um i'm gonna touch on what uh, alex said the man alex um we, we actually said it earlier if anybody wasn't there, the Marlins radio had a space in the morning, Sunday. And I asked about Anthony Maldonado. I don't know if Alex said his name at all because I really wasn't paying attention. Um, he did not get brought up, now. He does deserve to be up. But um, I think that he's going to be replacing Archie Bradley. But I believe Archie Bradley is going to play this series or wait until Edward Cabrera comes back, in my opinion. I think they DFA Bradley and bring up um, Maldonado, as it was previously stated. I mean, Bradley's been up since when? How long? For like since the Seattle series, and he hasn't pitched. I know he pitched like thirty. He had like thirty pitches in like an inning. I don't know how many how many innings he pitched. I, I think I fell asleep. But his his stats are too good. We you guys have been saying he's been he's better than what's his name um. Then Nardi and Nardi's been amazing these last couple months, uh, and I think that he's gonna find his way into that bullpen, and that's gonna bolster the bullpen. Um, I'm not gonna talk about my trading for my Panamanians because just it's always bring comes up and up and up. So I'm gonna change my my thing, but uh, yeah, that's someone that needs to be up soon. Same thing with Xavier Edwards. He's what he's hit. He hit his second home run today. Um, I think he's hitting like 400 something like that. I've seen the stat on there since. Getting since like, let me find the stat. One second here. Yeah, I mean the thing. The thing is, Romeo, not to, to interrupt you, but the thing is that you have to find room for these guys to uh, to contribute. So there are guys down there that definitely need to be up. I agree with you on Maldonado. I agree with you on uh, Xavier Edwards. I also would agree on Dane Myers, who's another guy who's kind of pushing his way up. But you need to find room for these guys to start contributing regularly. Um, and there's really, with the way that this bullpen is performing, uh, in terms of Maldonado, with the way that this bullpen is performing, um, what's his role? Like, what would be his role if you call him up, right? Um, you can't replace Nardi, um, can't replace Puck. Like, you, you can't mess with that bullpen the way that it is right now, because it's just been that good. Um, it, the thing with Andrew Nardi, man, like, because you brought up the name, I know you're talking about Maldonado, but you brought up the name, so I, I am never short on thoughts about Andrew Nardi, because when everyone else, everyone else, Everyone else last year was out, was like, yeah, Andrew Nardi, he's, you know, just a, a quad a quad A player. He came up and he was terrible, and he was. He was not good in his incident with Miami last year. But this is why you wait. This is why you feel things out. This is why you don't give up on players when they come up and struggle in their major league debuts. It happens. And this is how players fill it out. And you're seeing what Andrew Nardi is doing now. That's something that only 10 other Miami Marlins have ever done, ever. In the history of the 30 years of baseball of this team, this stint for him is spectacular. It's showing you exactly the use that this guy has. 
as a guy that just uses pitches, uses literally all three of his pitches, keeps guys guessing, gets guys off balance, and just records meaningful outs. He's great. He's an awesome dude. I am so glad for this guy and that the Marlins didn't run into another Alex Vesia situation because that's where I what were that's where I thought it was going when everybody was saying, Oh yeah, just send the guy down, just DFA the guy, just get rid of him, just trade him. This, this, and that. No, this is why you don't do that. Because you can see what guys do when they're given the time they need to succeed as major league baseball players, and that's exactly what Nardi is doing now. And he's been great. You see him in save situations when puck is not available. He has two saves. This guy's good. Um, and to pitch as meaningful innings as he has and get done what he's gotten done is very, very impressive and should not be discounted. I think Andrew Nardi has an all-star game case, a decent one. I don't think he'll make it. But I think he's got a case. You can make an argument. For well, I, yeah, it's it's not really relevant. He's not going to make an all-star game just because of his role on the team. I, I think what you're simply saying is that he has a case for being one of the best relievers in baseball so far this season he has been immensely valuable with both preventing his own runs and also and even more so something we constantly point out the way that he's stranding runners he constantly being brought into difficult situations with runners on base and he's been automatic at getting out of those innings by missing more bats and not allowing even those productive outs he's been outstanding one of the big mysteries last year um I was somebody that was also very high on Nardi when he was coming to the big leagues, and it was just baffling last year to see how his fastball did not play the way I thought it would. I thought he would get a whole lot of whiffs up in the zone with it last year. Instead, opponents hit 390. They slugged 756 against his fastball last year. And now this year, this is what I expected. Those numbers have been cut in half from a 390 batting average against to a 200 against the fastball, from a 756 slugging to a 354. The whiff rate is about the same as it was before. He's just getting those whiffs in um, when he's already ahead in the count. This He, he was unlucky before, and now I, I don't think he's going to continue the scoreless streak the entire year, but he this is a lot closer to the reality of him. This is the player that uh, we thought he would be. He has not so quietly emerged as the primary setup guy behind Puck. He has surpassed Dylan Floro in the pecking order. I don't know if people notice that. But that is the way that he's being used. That's a very clear message being sent that he is almost 1A, 1B with Puck right now in terms of guys that you trust to get the most important outs of the entire game. And finally, thank you, Grant. Another successful super subscriber conversion just a oh, few minutes ago. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that it happened right now. Uh, Andrew Gross is our newest super subscriber. So thank you, Andrew, for your support and for Grant for, uh, yeah, for laying out the benefits for you that's, well, that's where is andrew where is andrew i want to bring him in anytime you we get a new super subscriber on these spaces we always bring him in we, we listen to their story real quick if he's here request i'll bring you in right away but uh romeo you you wanted to continue with uh with your thought about the minor league stuff yeah um does what, what's his name it's vargas right vargas is la, I don't, marco vargas marco vargas yeah He's been going insane, correct? Uh, I, every day I look at my phone, yes, it's Marco Vargas highlights. Uh, do you think that he finds his way onto, like, low A at all? Or you think he stayed? Wait, where is he? He's in uh, the field, right? Uh, yeah, it, it's not a bad question because he's been really, really good. But this is still, what, only, like, 11, 12 games. He's in the FCL, so he's playing stateside ball. Um, he's 18. <laughs> um, they are – I mean, they kind of switch him around a bit, but the – the word that I get and the vibe that I get from his development is that they want him to 
continue to play shortstop. Uh, and this guy has such a simple approach, man, and is really good. So I'm really high on Marco Vargas. Me and Danny will have a top 100 coming out really soon, and you'll see him in the top 15 of mine. I'm very high on that player. I think he's really, really, really mature for his age. Um, they loved him in spring training. I talked to people in spring training, in my early spring training, and they loved that guy. So the team is really high on him, and I think it's for a very good reason. But I would expect him to spend probably the whole season in the FCL before getting up to a new level next year. I wonder if he'll face off against Alec Manoa. Yes, I was just about to ask, is Alec Man- since Alec Manoa is down there, will he face him at all? Or because I know Manoa's down there just to look. I, I, he's really down there just to lose weight and do, do, do the pitch So block. I might be, so might be completely wrong on this. I, I might be completely wrong on this, but teams that have spring training in Florida do the Florida Complex League, and teams that do Arizona spring yeah. training have the Arizona Complex League. Yeah. Am, I, am I wrong on that? No, you're right. And Toronto's in Dunedin, so there is a chance that, and I think I think they match up on the FCL schedule. I have to double-check, but I'm pretty sure they match up. I just don't know if like Manoa would be facing off against Vargas in particular, but I'm pretty sure they match up on the schedule. It's a funny tip. Okay, one more thing. One more thing to say before. Yeah. It's Josh Palacios, I believe his name, is the 6'11 guy. How is he doing? Joan Palacios, the 6'11 pitcher. Johan Palacios? Is that, is that who you mean? Yeah. So that's the yeah, second Palacios a... for the Marlins, not Luis Palacios? No. <laughs> So, Johan Palacios, yeah, so Johan Palacios um, is a pitcher, as you said. Um, he's pitched two games, two innings, and he's allowed one hit, and that's it. So that, that's that's about all I can give you on him. I, I haven't really seen much film or anything on him, but yes, I know he is a very, very tall young man. Um, that's pretty much what I can give you uh, on this he's guy. 20, he was born so. in 2004, correct? I believe that's that's what it is. So he's like, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure you're right. So, so yeah, uh, 18 years old, another really, really young kid. Um, he's, he's again, down there with the rookie affiliate, like I just said. Um, still in the DSL. So, um, played in the DSL last year, was not good in 11 games, um, and playing down there again, and looks like they've converted him to relief work. So, it looks like he's gone from starter. He started all year last year, and this year he's had two appearances so far, both in relief and single innings. So, it looks like they're... Um, they're looking at relief work for this guy uh, in the future. That, that's what I can give you on that on that name. Is he on your top 100 prospects list, Alex? Or, or if he missed the cut? Did he just he, miss the cut? He's actually not. He's actually not on my top 100 yeah. list. I think that's a pretty concise summary of where he's at. Okay. I said it was the last question, but this is actually the last question. The, um, what's his name? The, Jap- the Japanese guy that moved to Venezuela and is now in the DSO? How is he doing? Because I really don't know. I don't know where to look for this stuff. So ask Alex Parker while he's here. I feel like that's that's a good thing to ask for Eli. Yeah. Well, that, so, that's, that's a good resource. That, that is Hiroshi Takahashi, the right-handed pitcher who's also in the DSL with him. Um, yeah, there's not a whole lot more to say. We do have a little video courtesy of his Instagram account. So I've actually like seen him pitching, and uh, I saw him get a strikeout on a breaking ball. So he's not just a one-pitch guy at this stage. But it's kind of the same thing where it's so preliminary. He's going to be in the DSL for this entire season. And, you know, if everything goes great, then he'll be in the FCL next season. And um, and that's kind of where we'll 
eventually get moderately interested in uh, where he's going to this point. But I know he had, he had one decent outing, and then he had one pretty rough outing so far um, to this point in the season. Let me see if I can get his stats. Yeah, it's not good. Um, two games, three innings pitched, an ERA of 21 because he has seven earned runs allowed. So um, he's 17 years old. So, I mean, like like I said, it's two games into his per career. So uh can wait to see how he does. But, yes, like Eli said, it's, it's very preliminary. We don't get um, a ton of stuff out of these levels. Um, like I know sometimes that we can connect with the source and, and maybe get some video and stuff like that. But unless you're there in person – um, and I'm at some of the FCL games, so I can give you more on the FCL, especially than the DSL, because we just don't see anything other than box scores. So it's kind of hard to um, to go by anything other than the numbers, um, which is not what we should be doing at these levels. These are kids that are at the youngest stages of their professional careers, and you just got to wait and see, man. Like that's that's just pretty much what it is um, at, at this young of a level. But we'll see how they do. Um, I love the short season leagues; um, they're one of my favorite things to cover and follow along with. So, so yeah, but yeah, the name Marco Vargas, we need to really watch out for that guy. All right. All right. Thank you, Romeo. We got some more requests in here. I'll bring in Sharif. He requested pretty much right away. Again, just like Romeo, you can get, your, um, you, can get you can come in first in those requests. If you pay $3 a month, to become a super subscriber. We used to do it through Twitter. It is now on our website. And uh, we got Sharif in here. So, uh, how are you doing, sir? And what's your question? Good day to everyone. Um, first of all, uh, happy Father's Day to all the fathers and enjoying their day. I appreciate um, everyone here for the great coverage you guys continue to bring. Um, I am still following me, particularly Sandy and his five pitches um, coming up through the system. And I'm, guys, I'm concerned about his usage. Uh, when you check the totals, it's, it's, it's merely like 15%. He's been using the curve and his sinker, I think. So the other three, he's he's okay with using. I think it's the four-seamer, two-seamer, and the changeup, which has become batting practice. Um, and I wanted to ask you guys, what do you think about, um, one, the selection that the skipper is allowing Fortes or uh, Stallings to allow Sandy to pitch. What Sandy may need to change now that he's 27 coming up into the big. He has five pitches. He has to make a change. The changeup has become batting practice. And the two-seamer to the righties, he's not putting it in the place that he wants. What's your, what's your guys' thoughts on that? Oh, man, I love these conversations. I'm going to let somebody else go ahead, but I love pitch usage questions. But I'm going to let Eli or Grant go ahead. As uh, a I'll base- go Eli. As, yeah. a, as a base response, as a base response, and I'm not going to go too long. I'm going to Eli fully answer you, but this is a great question, by the way. So the reason for this is because, he, like you just said, Sharif, he does not have the changeup, and that is, was his most valuable pitch last year. It's his least valuable pitch this year. That's the reason that he's had trouble adjusting um, and why he's not keeping hitters as off balance as he was. But I'm going to let Eli go ahead. But, yes, the, the elimination of the changeup – realistically the elimination of the changeup from his arsenal is, is the main difference. What I wanted to point out specifically, as you correctly brought up uh, Sharif is that in this last outing, he allowed a home run, a leadoff home run on a four seamer to start the game. And then he almost went away from it entirely. What, what made what, the standout quality of last year's pitch usage is that it was almost an even split 
between all four of his main pitches last year, 25, 25, 25, 25. Um, there was, he was avoiding any patterns with it. And each of those had a role in his arsenal in this last particular game to see him like just go away from his four seamer. Uh, the pitch that is, um, is pretty important for him to get whiffs when his changeup is not working. And for him to go through that entire outing and only get one strikeout against the nationals in more than five innings, it's, it's not a coincidence. Um, for him to when he's make when he's using his pitches like that, and then obviously just not getting enough swing and miss to uh, overcome all the hard contact, then he's yeah he's just not going to be very effective. You you touched on it pretty well though, where that that uh, yeah I think what it comes down to is what is Mel and and Skip talking about? Um, because for me, we we all know he has a Bugs Bunny curve. We very rarely see him use it. Um, maybe the confidence is in there to drop it in all four quadrants of the zone. I think he should start. Well, he should have been working on that. And he's if he's not able to use that Bugs Bunny curve, then people are just going to time up. The, the righty's going to time up the two-seamer coming in. And then, of course, anyone can size up a four-seamer when you don't have anything else that you're keeping them off balance with. So He, he had spoken in spring training about using that curve more often. Last year, he went all with sliders, and that pitch was probably last year. The slider was probably the weakest part of his his arsenal. Um, it, he was it was mostly about the sinkers and the changeup to uh, get when he was on top of his game. And he spoke entering this year about reincorporating that curveball, and he hasn't really followed through on it very much at all. With only a few exceptions that I can think of, so that's that's part of the issue. Um, but frankly, I thought he was heading in the right direction prior to this last start. This last start, in many ways, was one of the more discouraging points of his season because um, it just undid a lot of the progress that I thought he was making the previous couple of times. And now, and now we'll see uh, because now he's going up against one of the very toughest lineups that he's faced all year. He'll be facing the Blue Jays in this upcoming series. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens because uh, I fear that that could get pretty ugly. Yeah, um, one more. I'm, 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 answer okay. this question too, if you want. He, he loves this kind of stuff. So, Isaac, the, the question is just about Sandy's pitch usage. Um, Sharif posed the question here. Sorry, I didn't get that. What was that? So, the, the question: what, what exactly about Sandy's pitch selection is, is what, what you're wondering, though? I feel like we touched on it pretty well, but it's just about. I, Sandy going towards four seamers and stuff like that. I know that's kind of you, you like that kind of stuff, Isaac. Yeah, no, but that start against the Nationals, even though I picked up for series MVP, I wasn't able to watch too much. It was a travel day for me, so I, I think someone else would be better equipped to take that one. All right, we, we touched on. I just wanted to, to get to get you included on this one, but uh, you, you go ahead with your your question, Sharif. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you guys' answers. I'm not concerned with the hitting at all. I think Skip is trying to implement the bunt more, but what is happening is we're actually hitting, and so we don't need to scrap hits and move guys with bunts. But I notice he's impl- he's forcing it, but once again, we're hitting, so we don't really need it. And um, that's what's impressive, too. I've watched every game, so um, in that. Um, but, hey, let's keep hitting. Um, once again, I think someone mentioned it earlier, the fact that, we're not having near all-star caliber pitching and starter, but yet yet we're 10 games over 500. 
So that's amazing. I'll let someone else come up. Appreciate you guys once again. Yes, yeah, man, great you. question. I, I love the, I love the pitch usage stuff. So that was a great question. But yeah, man, um, I, I really have no doubt that Sandy's going to roll back into four man eventually. Um, he just needs to get that change up back, and I think that makes all the difference in the world for him. It was such a scary, such a scary start that um, that national start. I, I did obviously you know, catch up a little bit, but the Oakland third inning and that national start is just really far away. I know he'll be he'll bounce back, but he really is far and away from what he was last year. And I think a big part of it is the lack of shift for him because he's a ground ball pitcher and he's trying to, you know, over like sort of overstimulate what he was doing last year and just pitch to contact. Now he's trying to strike guys out, which is just not really his game. And I think that's the big issue. All right. Well, thank you very much, Sharif. We appreciate it. We'll get another speaker. here. That is one of the better questions we've had in these spaces. That's a good in-depth. I'm not equipped to answer that, but of course we got guys like, Eli, Alex, and Isaac on the, the panel. Yeah, I'm going to bring in Brian here. So, uh, Brian, good evening, and, uh, and what's your question for us? Hey, guys, good evening. Thanks again for all the coverage and everything. Um, regarding like the pitching, that's probably one of the biggest concerns right now, if you guys touched on it. Um, pretty thin there. You're seeing it across, you know, AAA and MLB. The pitching is really bad, except for Maldonado. I mean, obviously, he's been really good. Um, my prediction is I think Devin Smelch is going to come up and I don't know if he's going to probably start a game or if I had to guess, he's probably going to back up holding tomorrow. I would say if he does join the team, um, Devin Smelter, I think he looked okay in his last start in AAA from what I believe that I witnessed. Um, and then Xavier Edwards and Dave Myers, I mean, they're pretty much killing it right now. Um, if we're getting closer and closer to the deadline, and obviously let's say we're buyers, I mean, is that... There's no obviously no room for these guys right now. I feel in a big league team, would you guys consider putting them in a packet and sending them off for something of a, a, a player of need that we need? It really depends on what's out there. Really, I mean, it, it is still very, very bleak to see what the trade market's going to look like. I didn't really set up a, a set like trade conversation for this spaces because we had some teams picked out last week where we thought. Oh, the, these teams could definitely be sellers. Let's pinpoint these guys. Like a lot of the bad teams won this week, or the teams that were kind of like teeter tottering back and forth between buyer and seller, and we just don't know. We really don't know now. But uh, in terms of packing those players, I think you've seen so far in the rotation that depth can't hurt. I wouldn't fully unload the clip, but uh, I think the moms are just going to take whatever the right offer is to, to make the team better. One core strength of Kim Ang is trading. And uh, while she's had uh, trouble closing some deals in the past, the ones she have made um, are all pretty good, especially a lot of the low-key ones, uh, most notably this past year, full day for Puck. I mean, that yes, kind of put a, put a bow on, um, on just how good the bullpen's been this year. I don't know what this bullpen would look like without Puck, but uh, it's been great. And Bleday wouldn't be contributing whatsoever to, to this team. So, and she's really good at trades like that, and um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see something like that. But then again, it's just it is bleak right now to see who actually is going to be a seller. And out of the teams that are confirmed sellers, pretty much the A's and the the Royals and the Rockies, Royals. there really aren't many sexy Nationals out there. The Nationals, even then, they don't really have too many guys. Maybe Candelario, but I. You go to the Cardinals getting close fun. to being sellers. The Cardinals, here's my thing about the Cardinals, why I haven't really considered them as sellers yet, is because they have too much talent to, like, 
not fully count them out. Like, they're totally capable of going on a 10 wins and 11 game streak that kind of stretch. Like, they, they just have too much talent to not be able to completely rule them out yet. I don't know. So Do they? Know. Do they really, as a whole team, on they offensively, on the – on the pos- on the position player side, they do, but their pitching is terrible. They are they're simply one of the worst collections of pitchers in all of baseball. I don't see any upside whatsoever to their pitching staff. Um, they're they're in a and now they've dug in a deep enough hole thanks to the Reds and the Brewers. Those are two teams that are both eight plus games ahead of them. I don't see them closing an eight game gap on on those teams. They just don't have the pitchers to do it unless they really went bold and actually went outside the organization to acquire more starters and use some of their prospect capital to do it. Um, Yeah, I think that's they really pulled themselves back from the edge this weekend, winning these last two games against the Mets. That probably keeps them uh, kind of in the mix a little bit longer, but I, I would expect them come deadline time for some of their major leaguers to be available. I don't, I don't see them being going on a hot streak anytime soon. They needed to trade for Pablo, man. They, they, there was a reason why St. Louis was a heavy suitor for Miami with all the pitching that Miami did have. I, I'm still, I can't believe they didn't do anything and it's, it's showing how, how poorly they're, they're pitching this year. They do have a pretty good farm to choose from if they want to buy, but if they do decide to sell, they can just add to it and they can fast track a rebuild. That's kind of what Cincinnati did. That's kind of what the Orioles have done. Not so much. Hey, I, I would be a really god go that and, package, well. and package Jordan Walker to go get Corbin Burns. That would be a massive trade, but that being an NL Central trade, and the interdivision trades are going to become more common now that the schedule's um, changed, but. The Cardinals Brewers trade would be kind of crazy. I don't, I don't know how I trade. Feel maybe like trade that. for an injured Woodruff as well. Uh, I can see it, but obviously the Brewers I don't think are going in that direction at all either. So now the it's it's a three, two, three, four horse race in the Central. I'd say at least three. The Cubs kind of aren't completely out of it yet, and then right. But I think the Cubs sell. I think that's a given that they're going to be they, they should selling they should. this year. They should. I, I've been pointing maybe Bellinger being a target for the Marlins if he can get healthy. Big if, though. Um, they'll probably trade Stroman if he doesn't do this extension. But, yeah, to, to your point, you want to package these guys for certain players. I mean, any deal that's there for Kim, I think she's going to take it. The Marlins are probably going to be aggressive. But uh, depth can't hurt. Very, very fortunate the Marlins didn't trade more starting pitching from Pablo. And um, he, I've been an advocate of trying to go deal Edward Cabrera to Cincinnati for one of their surplus of infielders. That can't happen anymore. I don't even know if Edward's going to be back by August 1st. But uh, Of course yeah. he would. I, I don't know. Well, I, I'm not a medical professional. I'm a journalism major. But <laughs> with the way some of these shoulder impingements and whatnot have gone, um, he, the Marlins have hit some pretty unfortunate injury luck. And yeah, I, I wouldn't put pinpoint any sort of like time and date on Eddie coming back. I guess we'll learn more tomorrow from whoever's at the ballpark. Yeah. Uh, really quick to add to what um, Brian said, just speaking of Myers, I think it would behoove the team seriously to just call and see what they have with them before the trade deadline, before they have to really decide whether they're selling or buying, just to see what you've got. Because if you can play a little bit of first, a little bit of third, that sort of you know helps decide what you're going to go after if you decide to be buyers. So I really think, you know, he's, he's a name. Even Craig Mish reported that 
he is someone that the team is well aware of how he's performing up in triple a hitting nearly 500 and hitting for some pop as well so i think i think uh, we could see him get called up before the end of june maybe just so they see what they got with this kid so that way they don't have to go get something else and trade more pieces for another player that maybe myers can fill a hole in he's a fun dude um like super super fun i talked to him in spring training isaac and he was like dude this weather is making all the difference for me like i think he's really really comfortable in the warmer weather rather than the cold of detroit which is where he came from in the rule five so uh yeah i think i think that's making a bit of difference for him personally that he likes being down here he likes hitting in these warmer climates and um getting it done man like you said um and he can play all over the place like first third corner outfield hasn't played third base a ton he's played it but not really a ton um my my like prospective analyst analyst analysis analysis of him is that he probably fits best as a a corner outfielder is what is what i would say um but he definitely has the ability to play and is doing it now because amaya just got called up so now he's at third base so um they didn't call up anybody else to triple a he played third base today so he can definitely fill in in these spots where he's needed but he's interesting um like you said definitely has some pop can hit for a decent average can get on base um i like him man and um yeah i I don't disagree with you that he's another one of those guys that i mentioned before that's kind of just pushing his way up and why not see what you have um so that you know this is a guy that you're going to keep as basis of your team or a guy that you're going to use as trade as trade value so there's there's definitely a room room for him to come up if they can make room for him The, the trick is um, how do you get him up here and how do you really get a full look at him with the team succeeding as it is doing right now? So uh, probably something for later in the year, but I don't disagree with you. Come August, September, um, it's definitely possible. Yeah, I should add a note on Dane Myers and his contractual status. He's a 2017 draft pick, and that means at the end of this year, he's going to be able to elect minor league free agency if he's not on the 40-man roster. So it's kind of it's kind of like a, a Rule 5 pick situation. We, we saw the Marlins last year. Sean Reynolds was in this situation where they did let the whole year go by and then they wait till after the year to put him on. But I'd say in, yeah. in more of those cases, they do. It's more incentivized for you to actually, you know, just call them up during the season, especially if they're right. performing exceptionally well the way that he is. He is the top performing hitter in this organization and he plays a bunch of different positions, even though he, he doesn't play them, not all of them super uh, fluently to this point as somebody that very recently was a pitcher, not a position player. Exactly. Yeah, but he is crazy. Like to know that he was like, as you just said, like to know that he was just pitching. I think he's only been a a batter or a position player since 2021. I think, if I'm not mistaken. So he was formerly pitching, um, and now he's playing all these different positions. I guess probably just to see what works out the best for him. But he was previously a pitcher, so obviously you know he has a decent arm. So yeah, um, like I said, I, I think I would I would be most comfortable in calling him like a corner outfielder long term, but. We'll see. I mean, he can hold down other positions. It's possible for him to do it. So definitely an athlete, definitely good, um, definitely hitting the ball hard, as, as Isaac said. Um, so, yeah, and like I said, what was it? It was minor league free or minor league rule five. So I guess yeah. I just clarified that it was minor league rule five and not major league. That's why he's not with the Marlins. But minor league rule five, they get the guy for basically nothing, and he's the best guy in the organization probably right now as a hitter. That's pretty exciting. Regarding, regarding the contractual – situation with him if he were to make his major league debut at some point what does that do for him you know is he's, he's obviously still not a minor league free agent after that right yeah but then he just becomes a, a normal dude if he's if he's called up and he's put on the 40-man roster then he's on the 40-man so then he has uh all his option years 
Um, yeah, so then he's just so part so of the they team. They would have six more years of club control of this player. Yeah, yeah. They just they just have to they just have to pay him more money, of course, and they'd have to keep him on the forty man moving forward if they still value him at this point. Yeah. And, and that's, that's something that's not pointed out. Um, is yes, we all talk about Kim and what she did with 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 the major league roster. Look at what they're doing with this. Like they get this guy for zero for nothing. There's zero risk. There's nothing to really lose by claiming this guy from Detroit in minor league rule five. And now he's the best bat in your organization. And here we are in June talking about him possibly making a major league debut. It's, it's, it's great. Like the off, this off season was, was fabulous. Uh, with a couple of stragglers aside, talk about Segura, talk about Plato. Yes. We talked about that before, but overall this off season was, was very good for Kim. And I think she's learned a lot. Yeah. If you're Bruce Sherman, you just say, Hey, listen, I'll, I'll let you, you spend some money, but only, for trades, you know, all of you are taking on money from another team in a trade because holy crap, not one free agent has really worked. It's amazing, not one. So that's what I would do. If I'm Bruce. Listen, Kim, yeah. here's your money, here's your budget, but only on trades. You can only take on money yeah. from other teams. That's it. Trades, uh, trades, and and um and minor trades, league, league free agents, rule five yeah. picks, all of those, you're the yeah. list. You but just major can't sign major league free agents. Yeah, you are yeah, forbidden. Oh my goodness, different kind of money ball there. But Brian, is that all you have for us? Uh, you guys still hear me? Yeah. Yeah, so the last thing I have is, yeah, so basically, like, this is it, I, I would say. Like, I, I think we should, you know, obviously celebrate we're 10 games over. But now, like, the schedule is really going to shift in a, in a way that probably isn't in our best favor. But I think we're going to learn a lot from this team here the next, you know, next week's heading into the All-Star break. Um, you know, the pitching, starting pitching is going to be a concern, but... I think we're going to learn a lot, and I'm pretty happy with the decisions that she has made, like, this season when it comes to, like, guys that she has caught up, whereas, like, last year she was calling up guys like Willie Zacidio and, like, Eric Gonzalez, and you had other guys that were doing good, so I, I feel like she's adjusted um, well uh, herself when it comes to the guys that she's caught up that, you know, when we need to enforce them, so we're going to we're gonna learn a lot here in the next few weeks, so uh, that's all yeah, I have. Thank you, guys. Yes, yeah, you're right. Um, just, just as a closing on this, you're right. Um the fact that there's new names, right, that it's not the same recycled names, except for maybe Smelter, who we expect to be up here shortly, except for maybe him. It's different names. You see Amaya coming up. You're seeing Yuri come up. Like, you're, you're seeing new names come up to see what they have. And I hope what Isaac said comes to fruition here, not right now, but probably in the future. See what these guys got. They're pushing their way. Let's see what they got. You can point to Will Banfield. He's another one. Austin Allen, that's a catcher. Like, Give these guys their shot, like, to, to see what they have, right? And if they don't have anything, they don't have it, and that's fine. But at least you'll see it, and you're not just calling up the same guys, the same the same, the same, same names over and over again. They, they were doing it with Lewin Diaz. They were putting him on the bench. They did it with Jose Devers. They put him on the bench. They're calling guys up, and they're contributing in meaningful spots, and that's a huge difference from last year to this year. So that's a good point. Yeah, I had a question for either Alex Carver or Eli Sussman. Regarding Myers, I think they're one injury away, one infield injury away, another Segura type injury, and I think Dane Myers should get the should get the call up. And regarding Banfield, is this real? Should Marlins fans genuinely be excited? Is this? I haven't watched too much of Double A, admittedly, but is this? You go so long struggling at the professional level from 2018 on. He has never hit a lick. He's had a few grand slams yeah. that people love to promote. Is this legit? Mm-hmm. I, I I'll go first and then I'll give it to Eli. Um, I think it is Isaac, and I'll tell you why is because of the difference that you see. And I pointed out pointed this out on Twitter not too long ago. Um, I think it is because of the difference in his approach and how simple he's being at the plate, where his arms are much lower in the zone. He's not just swinging for power. He's not trying to go over the fence every single time he swings at a pitch. 
and I think he's viewing pitching better. He doesn't have his toe tap anymore. Like the setup just looks so much simpler, so much better, so much easier. Um, and I think that's a that's a mean and a huge difference for what he's doing offensively. Um, and then you know what he can do on defense. So I think it is legitimate. Um, I think he's definitely somebody who needs to be looked at seriously. Obviously, you're going to talk about McIntosh, too, who's coming back. Literally, guy's been on a rehab assignment for like 11 games, which to me is a little crazy, but he'll be back soon. So there, there's there's catchers. And then you talk about Allen, too, who's been pretty good in AAA. But I like Banfield, man. I really like the look of this guy. For the first time, I can say that I like the look of Will Banfield at the plate because of how simplistic that he is. So I think it's legitimate, and I think his improvement is finally showing. I mean, this is a prep catcher. It took him a while to show it, yeah. But I think I think the, with with what he's shown at the plate this year and the changes that he's made, I, I think that this is actually legitimate. Yeah, I'm pretty close to the other end of the spectrum there. No, thank you. Four walks and 48 wow, games really? for Will Banfield. Uh, I. With I would like to. I'll, I'll keep it short. I, I'd like to see him moved up to AAA uh, to face different pitchers, go in a different environment, and see if he continues to. The overall offensive numbers are pretty decent, especially relative to his career norms and for the catcher position. Um, I, I just like to see him moved up to AAA at di- different surroundings and see if he continues to have the same overall performance. Even so, I'm I'm super skeptical about him being able to hit in the big leagues. I, I think wow. that, I, I don't I don't think he's, he's going to be able to simply put put the bat on the ball against big league pitching. So yeah, so that I'll keep it simple on that. Move him up to AAA. Bring back Paul Pimac uh, to Pensacola for a little bit. And then we'll figure it out. It's, um, yeah, not, not super I duper mean, I excited. You're right. I think that there's definitely variance. And yes, you're right. It doesn't walk a lot. Fine. <laughs> you're right. You're absolutely right. But what I would say is that, you know, even if this guy hits 230 in the big leagues, you take it because of how good he is on, on defense. Um, you take it. You 100% take that. And I don't right. think that's far away. But like I said, He's, he's shown a lot of improvement, and I still don't think it's a finished product, guys. Like, I really don't. Um, would I be comfortable calling him up right now? No. But what I would say is I don't think that this guy is far away from contributing. If he can continue to grow into this new stance, this new approach, um, I think he's pretty good, man. Um, and I really don't – I don't understand the call-up to AAA. I mean, yes, I know you face off against maybe some – former major league talent, but that's probably fringe major league talent and the Marlins. And this is a main topic for me when I'm looking at things right now, and I'll be short on this, but they don't seem to think that triple a is a necessary step because look at the roster that's in triple a it's, it's nobody like it, there, there's, there's very few of their top organizational guys in triple a. And I think that's for a reason. Yeah. That's so, an industry thing. I, I believe, you know, even before this ownership group, they never really, you know, the New Orleans Zephyrs, they never really had some of the top right. talent. There's always the Isaac right. Galloway. He's at the, yeah. uh, but at least, in those at least in those situations, it was farther away. Like new Orleans was farther away. Albuquerque was even farther away. They're in right. Jacksonville, Florida. Like, I, I mean, I've, I've talked to people about this. Like why, why do they not use triple a? as the most advanced level they don't they use double it they're they're using double a as the most advanced level in the system because double a is that's the best level you know well it's the biggest jump yeah it's the biggest jump yeah but at triple a like i said you have guys that have been in the major leagues you have guys that have experience in the major leagues um you get a lot of rehabbers there so i mean you kind of get a better taste of maybe a little bit of a better taste of what a guy's gonna do in major yeah. baseball yeah but the marlins don't do it that way yeah i think that's scary regarding banfield's 
plate discipline, I guess lack of walks, because you would think that in AAA you would be even less, you'd walk even less at AAA, much less the major league. So I think, Harvey, I'm sure you can agree with me like that. It would be a, a long shot that he would be able to hit major league pitching. And I think it's hitting 230, so it's a pipe dream for him to hit as, as of right now. Unless I, I, I would disagree with that. 230 is right now, very yes. High. Right now, if you, if you were to call him up to the Marlins right now, yes, I would agree with you. You would hit 130. Well, yes, right now, I agree with you, which is now, right now is not the right time, right, but I think right. his overall projection, he could right. do that. Yeah, he's still young. What is he? He turned 18 and when they drafted him, so how old is he? Yeah, of course, 20. he's a high schooler, so yeah. What is he, 21, 22, something like that? 20, I would assume 22 if he graduated two years after me, so he's 22. Right, so yeah, I mean, yeah, that's still there, there's a possibility. I, I, I'm really encouraged by the improvement. Um, I think he could get there eventually. Right now is the wrong time. Yes, I would agree with that. But if he keeps showing what he's doing right now, I think there's a pass for for that to actually happen. For is him it a Jeff Mathis type projection? Best case scenario? I think it's over that, but that's me. I, Eli will probably disagree, but I, I think it's better than that. Yeah, I think he's a great defender. I wouldn't say he's necessarily Jeff Mathis level of all encompassing. Um, floor raising for all your pitchers. I, I think I think in some ways Jeff Mathis would be a, a little bit of a, a reach just because of how special Mathis was defensively. Yeah, anyway, I, I think we can all agree that um, for this season, he's not going to be a factor here. And for this team, if Jacob Stallings does not continue to gradually improve as they lead up to the trade deadline, it's going to be a fascinating decision to make because Fortes, thankfully, is putting together consistent play for a while now, but they do not have, they don't really have a good quality backup and they certainly don't have a third stringer at the catcher position that you feel confident in helping you win games down the stretch of this season. Agreed. So we'll bring in Ryan here. Super subscriber perk. We got him in. Loading him in. He's always got some good questions. So uh, Ryan, how are you and what's your question? What's going on, guys? So, unfortunately, I was very busy this weekend. I'm in Connecticut, and I wasn't able to really watch any of the three games. I was at the Mets game on Friday night, and I missed pretty much the entire Marlins game. And I got a little glimpse of the game on Saturday, uh, and then I didn't watch any of the game today. So, I just wanted to ask you guys, what is the biggest takeaway from this series against the Nationals that you wouldn't really be able to see from just looking at box scores. Um, it's a good question. Yeah, I don't know if there's, there's one like main takeaway. I feel like there's a lot of little ones. Yeah, unfor- unfortunately, I would say the bigger takeaway is that the Nats are who we we thought they were. <laughs> Where it seemed that it was kind of interesting early in the year, the first quarter of the season. I felt like a lot of these games, they kind of pissed away. In this series finale, working backwards, Patrick Corbin, uh, he was lucky to only give up four runs in this one. He was so eminently hittable in this game, constantly getting behind him in the count, allowing a lot of line drives. I think just about any team could have beaten Corbin in this series finale. Going backwards to yesterday's game, the defense was pretty sloppy from the Nats in there. Um allowing the Marlins to get more than they probably should have in that situation. The Marlins were, were just one for nine with runners in scoring position and yet uh, put up those five runs. And I'm not entirely sure how there were some really bad pitch execution 
by the Nats. Chad Cool, he walked in a free runner with the bases loaded, and then he led an additional run score on a wild pitch. Um, and then, he, yeah, even on, on Friday, more of the same, that even though you wanted to be something flattering the Marlins, I, I'd say the bigger takeaway from the series was how non-competitive the Nats are. That I think soon enough you're going to be talking about them in a similar vein as the Royals and the Athletics. Despite their record being far superior at this moment, um, they just are really struggling from a pitch execution standpoint and from a defensive standpoint. And they don't even have like a single hitter in their lineup that you really fear on a consistent basis. It's um, it's a pretty bad team. Kevin would tell you Candelario. He would fear. He, he would try and tell you that. Uh, just a joke, but um, just, I mean, Lazardo looked good on the road for the first time in quite some time today. Uh, he, he might be a Lone Depot Park merchant. We'll see. He does get a start um, against Pittsburgh, so it'll be interesting to see what he does when he comes back home. But this weekend, and you know, Brax, some more good stuff. Uh, uh, I, I just think it's all about stepping up. How are you going to step up? Because were the Marlins down in every single game this weekend, or was it just two? They weren't down in the sandy start. They got ahead and they gave the lead back and got ahead and gave the lead back, but they never trailed in that one. Eli, you don't think, I don't know if you mentioned it, you don't think Fortez was a big takeaway from this series? Just, you know, putting the ball in play and everything. I know it was against a, a Nationals pitching staff that this you know, was just bad, but still, that was nice to see. Yeah, yeah. Well, he looked good against Corbin, as a lot of guys do, hitting against Patrick Corbin. Yeah, that, that was fine. That was fine. We've, we've already we've seen that from him. I, I'm yeah. I'm generally pretty excited about Fortes overall. He just uh, he needs some help at that position on the days that he's not catching. I think one of my favorite takeaways from this series is I thank God this road trip is over. I, I'm glad the Marlins are back home. That was a long road trip. I feel like I haven't watched a game at Lone Depot Park in like a month. Uh, that was a super long road trip, and now games will be back at normal times. I mean, that Seattle series was a drag. I guess it wasn't bad this weekend since D.C. was East Coast, but three time zones, three series. I mean, that, that was quite the road trip for the Marlins. And, uh, definitely glad they're going to be back. No, I don't have any other questions, but thanks for letting me on. And anyone listening, make sure to go become a fish on first super subscriber. That's right. That is right. That's our guy right there. Thank you very much, Ryan. You got to listen to the man. Um, you got to become a super subscriber. I, I see Kevin out there. I'm going to give him an invite to speak. I was just now looking through the replies. I saw one of Devin's suggestions. It was kind of a, a Kevin esque suggestion. Uh, Denison Lomay, Lomay, I don't know how you say his name just because I don't like to talk about the guy because he sucks. He just got DFA'd by the Rockies. Denelson Lamette. Denelson Lamette. Thank you. Now I have a hard time pronouncing stuff, which is probably bad for someone who wants to go into broadcasting. But he, he's been terrible this year. And Devin asked, do the Marlins take a flyer on him? No, absolutely not. No, I mean – I know this is kind of silly, but I looked at his numbers in the fantasy app the other day. He, he has negative points every start. I mean, that, that's enough for me. This guy is a negative asset. I, the Marlins should definitely not take a flyer on him. Kevin, I'm going to pick on you. That was a very Kevin suggestion. They should not take a flyer on him. Just generally, in years past, when somebody got DFA'd as a Marlins fan, you would point to them and say, 
Maybe he's somebody we could try out. He's got some interesting aspects to it. But this team is better. This team is better than they've been in these several years. If somebody's getting cut by another team, they are probably not good enough to help the Marlins immediately at the major league level right now. Because the Marlins themselves are better than most other major league teams. I think it's really that simple. It's a well-rounded team as well, as we know. You know, their one glaring deficiency at this exact moment is their rotation. But those are also the type of players that are least likely to get cut by a team. If you're like a stretched out as a starting pitcher, you have to be really awful to get simply DFA'd at any point. And Lamette kind of falls into that category where he had been just truly unusable for a team in the Rockies that was desperate itself for starting pitching. This is not a team that's going to be making many DFA claims at all this year because this team is simply has more talent than most of those other teams. Um, I think people need to get used to that thinking because the old way of thinking, the rebuilding Marlins way of thinking is that the waiver wire is an interesting place. Not anymore. That's no law. This they've risen above that uh, dumpster diving mentality. In my opinion. I mean, look how it worked with Gary Sanchez and the Padres. I'm sure they can maybe hit strike gold with one of these DFA guys. I mean, a broken clock, right? Twice a day. You throw enough shit at the wall, and eventually some of it will stick. Exactly. A broken clock's for... Exactly. So, you know, not that Lamed is the guy at all. I, I really am not a advocate for that. The guy's saying, terrible. You know, if you're smart, if you're smarter than other teams, you pick up their trash, and it works out for you like the Rays do. And, you know, hopefully they are, they are keeping their eyes and ears open for players that are DFA'd. But not in Nelson Lamed, please. We got we got one more request here. We'll do last call on uh, speaking of requests. Since we're kind of uh, one running out of time, two running out of people who want to talk. We we'll get Alex Contreras in here. Kevin wants me to, to shout him out. He starts college tomorrow, summer semester. So our, our baby's all grown up. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Are you sure that's not sixth grade? You sure it's college? He got promoted to sixth grade. Yet he's somehow taking a college class tomorrow. I don't know wow. why Florida International University let him do that, but. Um, Sixth graders, man. I think there's a typo in the, in the system over there. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why, why they let this kid in, but uh, shout out to Kevin. Big first day of school tomorrow. Yeah, I still got Mr. Alex Contreras loading in. Then again, once again, last call on any questions. Try and get out of here. I feel like last few of these, we've gone an hour and a half, but that, it's all right. There's nothing else really going on tonight. A lot of people have the day off work tomorrow. Thank you all for tuning in, of course. Well, we'll give it like another minute or so if, uh, if Alex Contreras can't load in here. But um, it's another important week for the Marlins. As we said, I'll, I'll reiterate it. The Blue Jays are a good team. And the Pirates, they are struggling right now. I think it's a very good opportunity for uh, – for the, the Marlins to strike on, on a team that's struggling right now, definitely don't want to be that team that someone gets it together against. If you want to really look even further ahead um, next week, they, the Marlins go to Fenway. That'll be fun. We will have on-site coverage at Fenway. Noah Berger will be there, be there for us. Should be pretty cool. What number ballpark is that for us now, Eli? <laughs> uh, for this season or forever? Ever. <sighs> forever. Hmm. It, anyone a fish on first slash fish stripes member has set foot in. I, I think it might be nine or ten. 
That, that's my ballpark guess. Somewhere, yeah, somewhere between three, nine and so, eleven. So, so to, to close three, it out, I got. Because go, go Alex, Alex Harvard. Because Alex having an important point. I, I have I have a question actually for Isaac Azut. So I know that this is guy. I know he made his big league debut today. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna I have a question for Isaac. Isaac, what is your um, expectation or maybe fellow major league comp for Jacob Amaya? I'll have to do a little bit more thinking on the comp. But my expectation for Amaya is that he's going to be here for the rest of the season. Right? I, I think he's going to play himself into a role that they just can't send him down. He's going to play himself into that uh, Garrett Hampson, John Birdie role. He runs well enough where I think he'll get enough playing time. And he's going to be a defensive replacement type player who crushes left-handed pitching. If you read my season preview on Jacob Amaya, this is someone that just crushed it last year against left-handed pitching. He's crushed all high levels of the minor leagues. And I liked the approach. I know it was Patrick Corbin, but you know what? That's a that's a major league pitcher that he had really great at-bats. Um, I was able to watch the first three, and I watched the fourth plate appearance. But he, I'm very excited about this young player. I think he's got one of the higher floors. I don't think he's got a tremendously high ceiling, like we've mentioned previously. But I, I think he's got a, a relatively high floor offensively, and the glove is already major league ready. And that's got gold glove potential. Obviously, by gold glove, I don't think he's ever going to win one because I don't think he's going to be an everyday starter realistically, but I think he's got a relatively high floor where he'll be a major leaguer for a long time. I'm very so, excited about this young player. I agree with you. I'm excited about him as well, but I know he, he made use of the conditions in Jacksonville. Um, yeah. Fortune right field. Um, you know, and a couple of other things that happened in Jacksonville where the ball, yeah. ball kind of kind of flies oh, a little bit there. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think it's, I think it's a neutralized environment, but he, he made the most of right field. So yeah. my, my question for you, my, my last question on, and my follow-up question would be, over under five home runs for the rest of the season for Amaya. I would say under, but I'll let you go ahead. I get over four and a half home runs. I say over. Preseason okay. bold prediction was over twelve and a half. I think okay. that might be. I, I I thought he would have been called up by now earlier in the season, but I think over four and a half is an easy over. He's got a little bit of pop, and like I said in the tweet when he was called up this morning, make no mistake. Or yesterday, I'm sorry. Um, make no mistake. He is a glove first prospect. He is a glove oriented shortstop that just happens to be just crushing the ball right now in a very hitter-friendly environment in Jacksonville. So, yeah. you know, everyone tweeting out his crazy stats the last five weeks or six weeks, yes, he's just happens to be crushing. Doesn't necessarily mean he's going to slash 330, 470, and 510, but I think he'll hit 260, 310, 380, 390 slugging and be able to crush a couple over the wall. Uh, even at Lone Depot Park, you know, if John Birdie can hit it over the left field wall, I think Jacob Amaya can as well. Miguel Rojas had a power surge in 2019. I think Miguel Rojas, what year was it that we comped him to? I think it was 2015, Miguel Rojas. Sugar. Let me, I'll do some research and get back to you. But it was one, like, okay year of Miguel Rojas. That would be my major league comp for Jacob Amaya. I have another comp for him. I'll give you Nick Ahmed, the Diamondbacks. Uh, Yeah, he scaled down the defense a little bit because Ahmed has had a couple of years where he's truly been off the charts on that side of the ball. I think offensively, that, that's kind of what you're looking at with him. Where everything goes right, he, he could push for 20 home runs at his peak. Uh, I think ordinarily it's going to be a little less than that, and the playing time could be a bit erratic. But Ahmed, just like him, uh, a righty hitter who, when he even when he's not playing every day, I think he still has value when he's facing lefties in his career. Yeah, actually, Nick Ahmed's been an above-average hitter against lefties in his major league career. Um, yeah. I think that I, I like that clump with, you know, you scale down the defensive expectations a little bit because Ahmed's been off the charts and had a couple points of his career. 
what what do you uh, this will be my last question. sorry i swear this is it what what are your thoughts isaac about him wearing jj bladet's old number i think they're doing him a huge <laughs> disservice i was very upset to see that i think you don't want to put that bad juju on this young player who you're very excited to get i can't believe came in got jacob omaya for miguel rojas and I, it was this accurate that he's already has a higher war than Maggie Rowe this year. I, I don't. I don't know. How I think Maggie Rowe is negative. So right. Okay. So yeah, that was a stupid tweet that I saw. Right. Of course. But yeah, I don't like that number sixty-seven. It, unless that's the number he chose, maybe it's in J, uh, Jordan McPherson's story. Unless that's the number he chose, and fine. But I don't like that at all. I, they're just putting bad juju in the air. I, I'm not a fan of that. You, oof, you don't want to do one failed prospect and give that number to another one that's don't I, I hold his jersey and, and he should be okay uh, i'll be asked i'll be back to ask uh, isaac more questions when jacob berry makes his major league debut thank you that's all i have i don't know jacob berry will make him all right i'll say all I'll right say. We, we, we got sean here this is going to be our last uh viewer request here you got him in just in time he is indeed a super subscriber and by the way i did do a quick account while you guys were discussing fenway park will be our 10th ballpark Really? I, I got media service. We I was at nine. Entire, we huh. almost said the entire NL East. The only one we missed is... Oh, Philly. I missed Philly. You're DC. right. Yeah. This that was time. in the Philly a couple times. So, uh, yeah, Fenway will be our... And, and I, I don't know if we'll add any more this season, but uh, it's it's been a fun journey so far. I lo- love doing the, the road coverage for you guys as someone who lives... who doesn't live in Miami. I, I enjoy being able to see the Marlins wherever I can find them. So, Sean... Uh, what's your question tonight, sir? Hey guys, well, this kind of fits. Um, since speaking of ballparks, I I floated this question on the uh, Marlins radio broadcast this morning next to the Royals' latest swing, and um, for anyone who caught that, and was wondering, what do you expect for attendance this week? Do you think with less distractions going on from other teams and? Hey, the Heat didn't even get Beal, so one last thing to worry about there. All we have to do down there is watch the Marlins and wait for Messi jerseys to drop. Um, do you think there will be an uptick in attendance at the ballpark, or no? More, Ever more, so more, more of the same. I, I know I you know, are in your out of town as well. Local guys, will there be more people? Yes or no? <laughs> yeah. So I, I know that um, that you asked this while you were. Um, well, you were having fun, I think, with your daughter on, on a swing set, which was pretty funny. And Kyle was like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, but I'll, I'll give you an honest answer, Sean, and I would say no. I do not expect there to be an uptick in attendance. I think it's going to be same old, same old. Um, I think it's going to be the, the same kind of crowds until this team is actually playing playoff games it's, or maybe is playing very meaningful games very late in the season that are going to determine whether they make the playoffs or not. This sports market is what it is. We all know it to be what it is, that people will only show up. The Panthers went through it. The Dolphins pretty much go through it every year. Um, oh, the Marlins have gone through it for a very long time. This this sports market only shows up when you've either proven that you're winning games and you're playing meaningful games late in the season or you're in the playoffs. And the Marlins are not close to either one of those yet. Yes, they've had a good stretch. Yes, they're 10 games over. Yes, we as diehard fans know that that is a huge win for the organization, especially with where they're at with advanced stats. Um, is it sustainable? That's what we need to see. Um, but until it is sustainable and until they prove that they're going to be playing meaningful games late in a season and not less than halfway through a season, the fans are not going to show up in droves. So, no, I do not expect a difference. Yeah. 
what I'll say is that even the um, secondary factors are not in their favor for this particular week. Uh, the opponents, the Blue Jays and the Pirates, those are not teams that really draw a whole lot of um, crowds from South Florida. There's there's not a whole lot of people that have strong affinities for those um, among those that are uh, living down here. So there's there's that aspect of it. Even from a, a marketing perspective on an individual level, the fact that you have a couple bullpen games during this homestand on, on Monday and then very likely again on Saturday, you know, the starting pitching is not going to sell uh, all that much in this aspect. I don't think Jazz is going to be back until the very end of the weekend, if that. So you don't have him to like draw you in the right direction. That's on top of the main thing, as Carver pointed out. Um, the the way that this market behaves and the fact that I don't think there's a whole lot of season ticket holders in the first place for this team that are suddenly going to use those tickets that weren't already before they, they already just entering this season. There was not a, a whole lot of that ticket holder fan base as it was. And that will go up a lot if they make the playoffs heading into next year. Uh, but I don't think you really see that big uptick until they actually accomplish something, something tangible, more so than just getting hot for a period of time, until they have that milestone, likely being that playoff berth, un- until they have something like that that they can point to that gets people to like come out on a consistent basis. It's not as if they're going to draw a whole lot of individual people on a whim just because of a streak of recent play, in my estimation. Is that all you got, Sean? Yep, that was it. Just wanted okay. wanted a take on that. I, I'd agree. It would be a lot better if this was the Braves and Mets week <laughs> in September. But is what my it is. prediction guys. is they get an average of six hundred fifty more fans for this homestand. It is an increase, but it's not a big one. Um, any final parting thoughts before uh, we end this? Uh, last thing I'd say is that if the Blue Jays, if the series were switched and Pittsburgh was during the week and the Blue Jays were on the weekend, you would see a little bit of an uptick in attendance. I, I think. I agree. I, I think the Blue Jays have enough names that it would it would bring a few more fans than usual. Like Vlad Bobichet's leading the league in hits. I, I think that would have. And there's a lot of former Marlins in that Blue Jays bullpen as well. So maybe that it bring draw more diehards as well. Speaking of speaking of former Marlins, the very last thing to point out is that the flashback Friday has. The all-time saves leader, no Kevin. He does not have 300 saves, but he does have, like, over 100. Um, that was a Kevin joke from a previous Jeopardy, unless any of you guys caught that. I don't know. But, yeah, uh, this all-time saves leader in Marlins history is Rob Nen will be there. Um, and so will Preston Wilson. So some cool alumni to uh, to check out for fans and go, go get some handshakes and whatever it may be. So, um, yeah, I mean, the marketing stuff is is on the upswing, I would say. Um I think there's also a bobblehead this week, I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken. So th- they're doing what they can. But yeah, Sean, um, it ain't going to happen until they do something. And that's it. I actually highly, highly, highly suggest going to the ballpark on Friday because Apple TV has that game. So if you don't have Apple TV, don't like their broadcast, and uh, or free Friday night, which I, I'm definitely those first two, go out to the ballpark. It, it should be a good game. Again, like Alex said, uh, flashback Fridays, and um, you watch it from the ballpark rather than your phone uh, or your Apple TV stick, I think it's a good idea. So we'll leave it at that. We'll do the same time next week. Thank you all for listening once again, and hopefully we come back 
to uh, another over 500 week for the Marlins. And uh, we'll see you guys this time next week.